Well, I think most of us in this room have a very positive view of Jesus. You know, that's generally people that come to church do. And uh, we, we, uh, we worship him, we talk about him a lot, um, we quote him, etc. We have a very high view of Jesus. But the danger is there even for us. We tend to shape Jesus in our own image. We... Uh, we tend to think of Jesus in the same cultural terms as we are most comfortable with. Here, here's some pictures of artwork uh, through the last uh, few centuries, uh, depictions of Jesus. You notice that um, the place the art was made, uh, the Jesus kind of matches that culture. <laughs> we see uh, a Chinese Jesus and a Haitian Jesus and an Italian Jesus. It's like, well, Jesus is kind of like, like me, we tend to to think. Jesus supports my causes. (laughs) Jesus affirms my choices. And unknowingly, we shape Jesus around what makes us most comfortable. So whether we're pro-Jesus, anti-Jesus, or indifferent, uh, we might be wrong about Jesus, at least in some ways. So to experience the true hope, the true peace, the true salvation described in the Bible, we need to encounter the true Jesus. We need to know him as he really is, how God in his word has revealed to us that he is. And because we tend to uh, be hard to change our conceptions about Jesus, we need to do a little preparation work. We need to prepare to encounter Jesus as he really is. And that's our big idea today, to prepare to encounter Jesus as he really is. So last week, um, I gave a little introduction to uh, the book of Mark. Um, and we mostly looked at the very first verse. In the very first verse, Mark gives us uh, a bird's eye view, a snapshot of this is the, the theme of the book. This is who the book is about. And it is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 1 1 says, the, This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. You could say that is, is the theme or the introduction. Well, the verses we'll look at today, verses 2 through 13, act as a kind of prologue to prepare us for what we are going to encounter in the rest of the book. I, I think I mentioned last week that um, Mark seems to have laid out his, his book in sort of a three-act uh, drama, so to speak. Where, where he clumps everything that happened around Galilee together first. And then he moves to on the way to Jerusalem is the next act. And then the final act happens in and around Jerusalem. It's kind of a, a big three-act play as you read through it. Um, by that, I don't mean that it's, it's fictitious in any way. I just mean that's how he arranged and presented um, the account of Jesus. Well, in this prologue, verses 2 to 13 of the first chapter, it doesn't happen in Galilee or on the way to Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. It happens in some entirely different place out in the wilderness. It's outside the narrative. And so, in a sense, this section we'll look at today functions as a behind-the-scenes look before we actually get into the story. It's like going to the theater, and before you watch the, the, the performance, you get to go backstage, and you see how the props work, and you figure out what it's about, or you read the you know, the, the, the bulletin, the program, and you find out the history, etc. It orients you to what you're about to view. I was thinking, it, it's a lot like when you visit a different country.
country. Anybody know where this is? Sydney. Yeah, it has some really uh, identifiable features there, the opera house and, uh, and the bridge, etc. Years ago, um, this church sent uh, Pastor Hollingsworth to Siberia. And then not long after that, uh, this church sent Heather and I to, to Sydney. And it was always just the contrast of that uh, was, was stark. You know, I'm not sure why. Maybe they thought we were too soft to go to Siberia. Um, but for whatever case. But we, we, went to, we went to Australia, went to Sydney um, uh, during the 2000 Olympics. And the world converged there. And it's really great opportunities to talk to people about Jesus who may be from parts of the world where uh, they're totally close to the gospel. So anyway, that's why we were there. But whenever you go to a different country, and I've been to just, just a few different countries, um, it's real helpful if you get some orientation first. And uh, Australia was uh, no exception. Things that are helpful, like um, they drive on the other side. So that could be you know, disconcerting if you're not prepared for that. Um, the Australians tend to speak very uh, frankly, um, like at a level of uh, bluntness and honesty that, that we don't usually do in, in the States here. And so they might just say, oh, well, you're kind of fat, aren't you, or something. And it's like, oh, we just don't really say that. And, um, and if, if we weren't oriented to that, uh, it might be an opportunity to take offense. Uh, another thing we, we learned is that uh, titles or um, kind of credentials, degrees, uh, if you mention those, it's really, um, apparently it's like really ostentatious, it's really a put-off, and like, you know, we're just all common folk here, don't, don't try to, you know, build yourself up. We're, we're here, we might introduce a speaker by giving his credentials or something to give him some credibility. And so, even though we're speaking the same language, uh, almost, um, and we look real similar, it's like, if we're not aware of these, um, these things going in, we might be totally confused and misinterpret what is going on. So that is what this chapter does for us in the book of Mark. It helps us figure out what in the world is going on. Because honestly, there's things that Jesus does, there's things that Jesus says that, um, that are confusing. They are, they are hard to swallow. Uh, so we need to be prepared. And uh, this is, today we're going to talk about three ways that Mark prepares us to make sense of encountering Jesus prepares us for what is ahead. And it's the same thing we need to do, not only when we look at Mark, but when we think about how we interact with Jesus in day-to-day life. So we're not disoriented. We're not down some uh, uh, rabbit track and, and lost and confused. So to prepare to encounter Jesus. We in Mark chapter 1, verses 2 to 13 and that's on page 836 in those pew Bibles. Answering the basic question is, how do I prepare to encounter Jesus? And the first way I think we do that is to consider credible testimony about Jesus. It seems everybody has an opinion about Jesus. <laughs> and since we have these preconceived ideas, it's not very hard for us to find somebody else that has the same opinion as we do we just like, well, you know, I don't really agree with these people, so I'll Google it and find somebody who agrees with me. Okay, now I have people who agree with me. And we could look in, all around and have all these different opinions of Jesus, but who should we listen to? And so Mark, at the outset of this gospel, 
he uh, presents, like, well, here's who you should listen to. Here are some credible sources. And though he doesn't, uh, he doesn't assign the book, so to speak, it's anonymous, um, I think our first credible uh, source, testimony, is, is the author, is John Mark. He was, a, I mentioned last week, he's a traveling companion of Paul and Barnabas, a traveling companion of Peter, who was, um, who was an eyewitness of so much of what Jesus did and saw. So we have this, this uh, really qualified writer of the Gospel of Mark that uh, has all this firsthand information about Jesus. As opposed to uh, some candidates for non-canonical Gospels that appeared later, or as opposed to um, you know, a blog you might read, or the, the chat at the local coffee house, or everybody else that has an opinion. Here we have eyewitness information from the writer of the gospel. But then we jump right into, he makes some introductions, and second, we hear from the prophets. The Holy Scripture has, uh, has given us hints, has given us um, prophetic announcements about the one who would come, the one who would bring restoration, and the one who would come to be the herald for the coming one. And so verse 2 and 3 says this. He introduced these prophets. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So if you could summarize those, it's really a, he really kind of combines apparently Exodus 23.20, Malachi 3.1, and Isaiah 40, verse 3. He kind of lumps them all together. Um, and the summary is that the Lord will return and he will be preceded by a herald. And so we have this Holy Scripture announcing the coming of Jesus. This isn't just some guy. This is big things happening. So this is not the testimony of, of a revolutionary or a philosopher or a celebrity, but this is Holy Scripture that's saying who Jesus is and who he will be. Well, then we're introduced to this next character uh, in verses 4 to 6, uh, John the Baptist, who was um, arguably a little eccentric, and uh, he lived out in the wilderness, and he dressed maybe in, um, you know, not the, the common styles, apparently, because they make a big deal of how, this is, how he was dressed. And what he did was he called people to repentance. And he pointed people to Jesus. Verses 4 to 6 again. John appeared, and he was baptizing out in the wilderness. And he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, they were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. And they were confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild Honey. So here we're introduced to this, this character, John, who, uh, who Scripture prophesied he would come and announce the real coming of the, of the Messiah, of the Christ. And he was baptizing people. It's so a little confusing because it, his baptism meant a little bit different than, than how we baptize people now, and it also meant something different than what was taking place at his time. See, people were being baptized all the time um, in Palestine uh, during John the Baptist's uh, his ministry. Um, 
some Jewish uh, groups, like the like kind of the ascetics out in the wilderness, the Qumran community, uh, they would baptize uh, ritualistically, uh, repeatedly. And if you go visit some of these archaeological sites, there's these mikvahs or uh, ritual baths um, all over the place. You can find them. So baptisms were happening routinely as a, as a routine uh, ceremonial cleansing. That's one kind of baptizing that was taking place. The other was where uh, converts from, from Gentile converts to Judaism those who wanted to religiously uh, embrace the, um, the, the religion of the Jews, they would be baptized uh, basically into Judaism. And, uh, and so that was also taking place during that time. Well, well John's was neither of these because uh, it was a once and for all kind of a baptism, not a, not a, um, a routine cleansing like the Qumran community. Um, but he wasn't baptizing Gentiles he was baptizing people who were already Jews and telling them that they need to repent. And so here we see that both Jew and Gentile alike, it doesn't matter who you are, you need to repent and cry out to God and prepare your heart to encounter the coming one. All John's ministry pointed toward the coming one, Jesus. Uh, verses 7 and 8. This, this is what he preached. He says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So why I think this is important is everything about John puts the spotlight on Jesus. John had nothing to gain from, uh, from his ministry personally. He was introducing Jesus. John was not, uh, you know, selling books. Um, he was not getting, getting this following that would promote John in any way. And this makes him a very credible witness. His testimony was, it's about Jesus. I get nothing out of this. Uh, in the Gospel of John, now, now we're introduced to three uh, different Johns here. I know it's a little confusing. John Mark and John the Baptist and the, and, uh, the other John. Uh, so John 3 says uh, in verses 28 and 30, um, John the Baptist says, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He must increase and I must decrease. And that was the method of his life. So whenever we encounter um, opinions about Jesus, we need to ask the question of uh, what are they getting out of this? Is somebody promoting a view of Jesus uh, to leverage it for their advantage? Whether, like I said, to sell books or something or, or to justify uh, their behavior or to justify uh, keeping self on the throne instead of Jesus on the throne or whatever it might be. There's lots of self-serving purposes to have an opinion about Jesus. So John the Baptist was the epitome of a, an unselfish um, approach to Jesus. Okay, so we, we meet John Mark, uh, the prophets, John the Baptist, um, but you can't beat the testimony of God himself. And that's who we're introduced to next. Verses 9 to 11. 
Okay, it's just the crazy thing. He's baptizing, talking about, oh, there'll be one who comes. I'm not that guy. And then right when he's doing this, apparently, Jesus shows up. Oh, my goodness. There is the one that's coming, and he's coming right down here to get baptized right now. And I'm sure most people didn't catch the significance of what was happening, but, uh, but God himself lets us know the significance. Verse 10, he just got baptized. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God himself says, uh, this is my son. Heaven rips open. God breaks into time and space and says, uh, in case you missed it, this man, Jesus, is God the Son. No testimony can be more profound than that. So we have these reliable guides that we could trust to say, okay, let's, let's listen to them. Let's listen to what they have to say about who Jesus is, you know, what, what he did and what was the meaning of what he did. We can trust these guides. Uh, again, back to visiting another country like Australia or when I got to go to Israel, it's like you want a guide that understands both cultures that's able to uh, bridge the gap for you and explain what is going on. You want a reliable guide, not someone who just, you know, looked up a little article real quick or, yeah, well, I watched Crocodile Dundee, so I'm going to be your guide to, you know, Aussie land or whatever. But somebody who really knows the culture and is able to pull you in. Well, here we have uh, credible witnesses. To prepare to encounter Jesus, first, we need to consider the really credible testimony about Jesus and not just go looking elsewhere. I think the reason that we gravitate towards these inferior ideas of Jesus, whether they're dramatic or whether they're subtle, is because our, our hearts tend to be, be hard. Um, we, get, we get locked into thinking that that's self-serving. It's just the tendency of all of us to do that in one way or another. And that's why, secondly, if we want to really encounter Jesus, we need to surrender to a change of heart about Jesus. This whole section is about preparing, and we see that word uh, preparation uh, occur multiple times in this passage. It's like Mark is saying, hey, this is all about being prepared for what comes next because your mind's going to be blown. Uh, Verse 2 um, in the prophetic passages, a messenger, which was John, will come to prepare your way. Verse 3, the one in the wilderness will cry, prepare the way of the Lord. So how does John prepare people to meet Jesus? How do we get prepared to meet Jesus? Well, verse 4 says he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. John invited people to, um, to turn from, to repent, to think new thoughts and turn a new direction about their lives and to receive forgiveness of their sin. Encountering Jesus is not just uh, learning new things about Jesus. But it's you're headed one way, you, have, you think of Jesus one way, and then you completely turn around like, oh, now I understand and all the implications of who Jesus is. It's coming before God and saying, I turn from all the things I've been trusting. I turn from all the selfish pursuits. I realize that they're ultimately futile, 
and I need a Savior. <laughs> That's who we need. So we come to Jesus with, uh, with our hands open and as needy people saying, uh, I, just, I just surrender. I, I need you. I need to know you as you really are. I, I don't need to build up my own uh, concept of you. I need to actually meet you and know you. just dragging out my Australia conversation. Um, I I learned this the hard way that um, I didn't really understand the culture yet. Um, I was asked to preach over there. And so I chose a sermon that I had preached here that that people seemed to really resonate with. And that was, um, you know, it's like I'm trying to pull out the best thing I've, you know, (laughs) My best, best sermon, you know, because I had like three at that time. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I gave it there, I presented it, and complete blank stares. Afterwards, it was kind of like, well, you know, that was nice. So let's go to lunch, because it was just did not connect at all with the people. And I realized, ah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I need, I need someone to help me understand this culture if I'm going to communicate with them. We need to humbly admit uh, it's possible, even for people who've been in church a long time, that we might be wrong about Jesus in some ways. And to just lay all that before God and say, God, help me understand Jesus as he really is. If you're, always a, if you're already a follower of Jesus, there's always that danger of being warped in our view of Jesus, and that results in a real hollow Christianity. A real hollow faith where, man, this is, doesn't, this doesn't feel real, or this is kind of boring, or, or I feel like I pray, but nothing really happens. In all that, well, maybe we don't really understand who Jesus is. We have uh, an image of Jesus that we have shaped. Well, the answer of whether you've been pro-Jesus or anti-Jesus is, uh, is the same. It's just a surrender of our heart to him. He's not leverage. He's not a comfort blanket. He's not a crutch. He's not a good luck charm. He is the Lord. He's the mighty Savior. John crying in the wilderness says, prepare the way for the Lord. The Master is coming. So to prepare to encounter Jesus, we need to surrender to a change of heart about Jesus. And the thing is, when we surrender to to a change of heart, we say, Jesus, who are you really? I think the next thing we need to do as we get ready to jump into the rest of the book of Mark is to keep in mind the big picture about Jesus. I, I think that's what Mark is doing in this, in this whole chapter, that intro statement in verse 1 and then, and then these opening uh, prologue little vignettes. It says, this, this is who you're going to encounter. Who, who is this? Well, we were introduced last week um, to in that opening statement in verse 1 is that Jesus is the human in history. Jesus was a common name that, um, that you know, you call somebody, you know, Josh or Mike or Gary or whatever. Um, he was human, truly human. He was the Christ who is the Messiah or anointed one uh, prophesied in Scripture. And he's the Son of God. Divine, yet distinct. This is who Jesus is. The early church had this uh, 
had this little symbol he started to use. Uh, you might be familiar with the fish symbol. That was, uh, it became popular in the, at least by the second century. And uh, then it kind of phased out of use. And then in the 70s, it started popping up on people's bumper, uh, car bumpers. Um, but um, uh, in the in-between time, it wasn't really used that much. But it's the symbol of the fish. Well, some of you already know that um, ichthus is the word for fish in Greek. And it's an acronym. It's not because Jesus was a fish or, although we were just talking this week, he, he liked to eat fish for breakfast um, and, uh, and he hung out with fishermen. But that's not what this is about. Uh, the symbol uh, is an acronym and each letter of the word fish in Greek tells us something else about Jesus. So uh, he, the first letter is uh, from the word Jesus. Uh, Jesus, that's just his name. So he's, he is the guy from Nazareth. He's the human in history we talked about. And then Christ, talked about. Of God the Son are the next two. If he's all those things, he is ever so qualified to also be our soter, our savior. And so the fish symbol means Jesus the Christ, of God the Son savior that's the that's the big picture we might call that the the fisheye lens view of jesus you know a fisheye it's like there's ultra wide uh story view where you could see you know all around almost panoramic um this is what jesus is this concept will help you get the most out of the whole rest of the book okay interesting some of you are, have been trying to figure out what the logo on the top of your sheet uh, means, the little wagon wheel. Another way to say the same thing, this was found in, on some uh, ruins, on some marble in Ephesus, um, and uh, it looks like a wagon wheel, and underneath you see those same letters. I don't know, can you see that up there? Well, what it is, is just taking each of those letters and placing them on top of each other instead of in a line. So if you made the thing that looks like an eye, and then you made an X, well, all of a sudden you have all the, the spokes. And then you make the theta, which makes a line across, and it makes a circle. And then the thing that looks like a Y. And then you kind of have to squeeze the sigma in by curving the top and bottom a little bit. But, you know, give them a little liberty. And so this, this symbol is saying the same thing. Jesus Christ of God the Son Savior. Like, that's who Jesus is in, in a nutshell. This will help you make sense of the rest of it. And so as we look at our chapter this morning... You see um, uh, verses 2 to 3, that's about the prophecy of the coming Christ. Verse 11, God himself says, this is my beloved son. You see, he's divine, son of God. Uh, All along, we're we're told um, about, we're used his regular name, Jesus. In fact, right after verse 11, where heaven opens, it's like, ah, this is God. And in the very next verse, what happens? Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The word it actually, it, it almost means to, to throw him out, to cast him out. It's like the Spirit just chucked him out in the wilderness. It's kind of the, the imagery, although it's, we don't usually describe it that way. And in the wilderness, what was happening? He was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan. So the very Son of God all of a sudden gets tossed out in the wilderness and is being tempted by Satan. Uh, Maybe that's a scary thought. 
What it should be is a super encouraging thought. As we talked about last week, what it means that, uh, that Jesus was truly human. It means, like Hebrews describes, that he, he knows our pains. He knows our griefs. He knows what it's like to, to suffer and to be abandoned and to be, um, to be misunderstood and to feel the grief and the agony. He knows all those things experientially because he is Jesus. He is, he is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Okay, so since I've talked enough about Australia, here's another country. This is uh, Middle Earth. So years ago, uh, I read The Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Tolkien's kind of large tome. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy land, and I don't know. Has anybody read, read the books? Okay, anybody seen the movies? More, yeah, so yeah, those are easier. Um, and uh, I'm reading it, and it's, I don't know, it's maybe a thousand pages, all the three books together. Um, all these made-up names, made-up places, and I got totally lost. And so I actually went down to the library and photocopied uh, the map that's in the back of the book and then took different colored markers to trace their journeys on the map. Like, okay, yeah, Boromir went up here, you know, Frodo went over here. So I could make any kind of sense at all. Well, uh, maybe the maybe this is too big of a jump. But this is what Mark's doing here. He's like, here's the overall picture. Here's the map. If you get lost in the rest of the book, come back and remember that here's what we're talking about. Jesus Christ of God, the Son, Savior. It makes it all make sense. So when Jesus says some really uh, hard things and does confusing things, we need to remember that he's Jesus Christ, God, the Son, Savior. When in your own life things don't work out uh, in your relationship with Jesus as you expect, you know, maybe your prayers aren't answered as you expect, maybe um, you are trying to spend time in the Bible and it seems dry or you don't feel the warm fuzzies or whatever it might be, you're like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. This doesn't make sense. I get confused. Remember, he's Jesus, the Christ of God, the Son, Savior. Kind of putting it all together Here's some of what that means. As Jesus, he fully empathizes with my deepest suffering and struggle. As Christ, he will ultimately make all things right. As a son of God, he is in control of all things. And as Savior, he gave his life to rest. So we're in the Gospel of Mark, and we see, you know, Strange things he says about, uh, for instance, about discipleship and about uh, hating your own family. Or, or he heals somebody, and then he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. And all these things, like, I don't know what to do with that. Go back to this statement, like, okay, I could start to see how this all fits together. So to prepare to really encounter Jesus, keep in mind the big picture about Jesus. Are you willing to encounter him even if uh, he defies some of your expectations? That, that's really the kind of the place we need to come to as we, we get ready for this study of the book of Mark. Are, are we willing uh, to be challenged and to think new things about Jesus if our thoughts of him don't line up with what we already thought? And just by experience, I know a lot of us are not really ready to do that unless we make a conscious decision today. It says, yes, I will open my heart to whatever 
God wants to teach me about Jesus in these next weeks. We might say the basic challenge is open your heart to rediscover Jesus. That's what we all need to do, to say, Lord, show me yourself. In the pages of uh, Mark's gospel, let, let me pray and just ask that he would start doing that even today. Lord Jesus, we, we, we come to you and, uh, and ask you to reveal yourself to us. You have given us such a treasure in, in, the word, in your word, the Bible, that says what you're like in, in the Gospels, in the, in, in the Revelation, in, in the epistles that just paints this picture of who you are. Lord, would you just break through the, the crust in our minds where we, we uh, conceive Jesus in a certain way and flood us with true wonder over just how incredible you are. Begin to do that even, even today and, uh, and then through this whole series as we study the book of Mark. And we ask you this in your name. Amen.